When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Score North on AM 1500 KSTP St. Paul, Minneapolis, 94.5 KSTP FM St. Paul HD2 and on scorenorth.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. They want me in Minnesota. I want to be in Minnesota. Unfortunately, um, the business side of things gets in the way. And, and, you know, that's a testament to the rest of our team. We have a lot of good football players on our team. And, you know, they just, you can't pay everyone. You can't keep everyone. But uh, as of right now, we still think there's a way. And um, I said last week after OTAs that my agent and the Vikings are working extremely hard to find a creative way. Uh, to make these ha- make these things happen. Minnesota Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph breaking the rule on the show that there is a moratorium on Kyle Rudolph's trade talk until he is traded or re-signed to an extension or is holding out or whatever it might be. Sorry, that email that I sent off to him was still in the draft, so I forgot <laughs> to fully send it. I know. Why didn't you tell Kyle? My bad. No I'll more. No it. more sound bites about you. Uh, either signing or not signing or being traded until something actually happens, Kyle. Um, yes, he was on NFL Network. He was at a golf tournament yesterday, and they had him on. As, as a, He was not at OTAs. But I, I think it was involving the Walter Payton Man of the Year people who were nominated for that. And So it wasn't just Kyle Rudolph skipping OTAs to go play golf. Um, and as part of the event, he goes on NFL Network. Of course, the host has to ask him, hey, so you don't have a contract after this year. What's going to happen with you? And that was his answer to that question. There are essentially no further updates there, but less a less agitated. Maybe he had a decent day golfing or it was really nice out there because his first week of OTAs, I don't blame him every time he talks. He's going to be asked repeatedly about his contract situation, and there he kind of made it sound as if he believes that they can get something done. But with everything Kyle Rudolph has said to the media, you have to take it with a grain of salt because he hasn't signed the contract extension yet, and he hasn't taken the restructure yet, and he could have done that. that that's the thing that it, it seems to me that Kyle Rudolph does want to stay because he hasn't taken the restructure. If he just wanted to get his cash and get out and free agency, then I think he would have taken the restructure because you could still, after that, negotiate a long-term contract extension, but you lose your negotiating power if you just you know, take the restructure, then you can't hold anything over their head. The reason that Kyle Rudolph is in an advantageous position negotiating with the Minnesota Vikings is that they have no cap space. And he's like, well, then... Sorry, you've still got to pay me, and and I'm going to turn the screws to you. But if he does what they want, then it makes it um, much easier for them. I I don't know. Maybe I've got that backwards. But it feels feels that way, that part of his negotiating power is, no, I'm not going to just give you that. You have to give me the contract I want in order to lower my cap hit for this year. Yeah, I've got it right. I got confused in my brain. (laughs) What is the ideal contract there? Because we've heard about the five-year contract that was supposedly offered to him that he turned down. What would five years seems a bit long for a guy who's 29 at that position? Am I wrong? More likely than not, I would say extremely likely. 
is the five-year deal is the air air quotes five-year deal. And it probably means three. It might even mean two with the potential to get out of it of three. So you could, if you're the Vikings... It's kind of like Riley Reef next year. They can move on from Riley Reef next year if they want to, or they don't have to. And it will give them somewhat of a dead cap hit, but not super bad. So it's like the Alex Boone thing where there was some dead cap money, but it didn't crush them when they moved on from Alex Boone. And that would be my guess for how they would want to set up Kyle Rudolph. Now, if you're on his end and you know you've got the negotiating power because they're desperate to lower your cap hit, then you're saying, okay, yeah, lower my cap hit for this year, but I am not taking a pay cut, so make sure I get paid uh, the guaranteed money now in signing bonuses or however you might do it. And, yeah, five years? Make it five years then, or make it four years then. What Kyle Rudolph has been very clear about is that he believes there's a lot left in the tank, and so he's not going to be willing to take a three-year deal, unless that three-year deal has a ton of guaranteed money, the more guaranteed money you have, as we know from our friend Kirk Cousins, the higher your cap hit is, <laughs> and the more difficult that becomes. So that's your latest on Kyle Rudolph. I promise, unless he says stuff, then we will not continue to go down the rabbit hole of potential Kyle Rudolph trades. Okay, but that's the only thing that can lift the moratorium is him saying stuff or rumors. Or reports. We need new information. I don't think rumors can do it anymore. Unless they're really, really well-sourced rumors. Okay, if there's a sourced sourced rumor, there there is a pretty gray area these days between what is a rumor (laughs) and what is a report. Because there are some reporters, and I I don't know, you know who they are if you're on Twitter, who have sources they claim... But a lot of the stuff that they put out there does not come to fruition. And, I mean, last year, there was a report that Laquan Treadwell was going to be traded and that the Vikings were looking around trying to trade him. And I don't doubt that that's true, that they checked in with what people would potentially give them around the league. But that doesn't mean that he's about to be traded. It's a little bit of a weird area for fans trying to figure out what's actually going on in football when you have so many of these people who have sources and are connected with this agent or with this team, you know, whatever. Uh, But until there is new information of some type, let's characterize it that way. Someone says something about Kyle Rudolph, then we will not talk about him getting traded. We're going to wait till then. So what we are going to talk about today is a report that the NFL in the next CBA negotiation, which will happen after this season going into 2020, wants to have an 18-game season. or They want that on the table for an 18-game season. Now, I put it out as a Twitter poll, and I got a lot of responses on it that I want to read and react to. But, Jonathan, before I give you the results of the Twitter poll and mm-hmm. read the responses, your thoughts on an 18-game season? I like it if you take out some of the, the preseason games, which I assume they would do. I think they, I assume they would cut down to two. I like it if you do that, but if you're keeping four preseason games and then you have them do... 18 regular season games, that's just too many. I think that's totally right. You would have to, as part of the trade-off, you would have to Mm -hmm. just take care of those two preseason games. And a lot of people would say, yeah, who needs those anyway? Because especially the fourth preseason game, why? (laughs) Uh, I mean, we'll just... I, I know football coaches' heads would explode if I said that to them. They would say, This guy earned a job in that game and became a Hall of Famer. Like, That's I get, where we get I, to see I Kyle Slaughter. Like, great, awesome. I know. I know. But for fans in general, it brings no value mm-hmm. and it's part of the season ticket package. They don't take it off if you don't go, right? They don't give you your money back if you don't go see <laughs> them play. Whoever, San Francisco at U.S. Bank <laughs> Stadium. So everyone sells their tickets and gets eight bucks. My favorite is when they have a team that you're playing in the regular season, you play them in the preseason. It's like, why are we doing this? Because oh, yeah. you can't run anything because you know that they, that they'll just use that game tape against you a couple weeks later. They did that to Oakland, and Oakland used the... And I, I will unapologetically say I just absolutely love John Gruden. I love that he's a great character in the game, and I don't care if he's good or not. I just I just love and I loved the quarterback 
things that he would sit down with people. Mm-hmm. And I learned a ton off of those. Actually, if you watch the whole thing, not just the spider two Y banana stuff, but the, <laughs> you know, the 25 minutes, I have always been a fan of John Gruden for that stuff. I enjoyed him as a commentator, even though it was over the top. I know it was, but I liked it. And I thought he was one of the first. So now Tony Romo does a lot of the same things John Gruden did. Gruden didn't call out the plays. Yeah. But John Gruden was giving you a lot of X's and O's during a game and a lot of energy during a game. And he was sort of made fun of a lot of times. But Tony Romo does basically the same thing and calls out the plays, and everyone loves Tony Romo. I don't know. But anyway, I I always liked John Gruden, and what he did last year for this exact reason that you're bringing up was he brought back the pro set. So if you remember the, uh, I think it's the, yeah, it's the pro set, where you have a running back on one side of the quarterback, Mm -hmm. and he's under center, and the fullback on the other side. Yes. Zero teams use this now. I might have seen it once last year. Every once in a while, someone will do like a pistol thing with running backs on each side. But well, nobody has fullbacks anymore except the Patriots. Exactly. There's only a handful of teams with fullbacks. Don't shortchange CJ Ham, please. Sorry. Uh, Vikings have a, a good fullback, but you're right. There's five or six in the league that actually get playing time. Kyle Usechek. Let's not besmirch Kyle Usechek, Jonathan. That's one of the rules of the show. I apologize. Please do not criticize or downgrade the role of the fullback on this show. But I, but you don't see it very often, and they were like, yeah, we're going to use this thing from the 80s because, <laughs> you know, why not, right? Um, if you're talking about eliminating the preseason games, I think a lot more people would be on board, and that's what I, I got a lot of responses for. Overall, the poll, though, 68% saying they do not want 18-game seasons in the NFL, 32% saying yes. I'll give you some of the issues that are raised, and I think that they're all correct. Um, injuries is one. Already, by yeah. the time you get to the end of 16, you've got several practice squad players I mean, and sub-teams playing key roles by the end of 16 games because it's just such a battle and so many people get hurt along the way for a season. That's already really tough. So that that's one comment that kept coming up. You'd have to stretch out the schedule a little bit more than it already is. You would, you'd have to start the season earlier, no? I think you would need two bye weeks, probably. You would have to. If you're doing 18 games, already it seems like one bye week isn't enough. Yeah, I, I think that there would have to be multiple bye weeks for sure. Um, you know, there's another point that is brought up here that is interesting. Because I think they could get rid of the two preseason games and... Stick with 16. It doesn't have to be either or. Um, I, if they're not getting any, if if nothing would change in terms of revenue, I think everyone would prefer that. Though there is one point to be made about the fourth preseason game, which is when all the season ticket holders sell their tickets for $4, like if you can't afford to go to a Vikings game normally, you get to go see a little bit of Vikings football at U.S. Bank Stadium for you know baseball prices on a bad team in October. Um, or September. Anyway, <laughs> you know what I meant. Right. One of the things that is brought up is how the stats would just be entirely thrown, thrown off and kind of make everything before irrelevant. And well, they said that when they moved up to 16 games as well. Yeah, but you're, I mean, that was a long time ago, though. Right. I mean, the, the NFL was still in its infancy stages, I think, it, when they moved from 14 to 16. And that's sort of when you start taking the NFL super seriously as a sports league. I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, the, the, the Super Bowl was a big deal, and, you know, it's starting to come into its mature phases with the Steelers and with the Cowboys and all those you know, dynasties, things like that, and become a mainstream sport that's competing with basketball and baseball. I'm not saying it didn't exist when they were 14 games, but when it takes that step to being the number one league, I think is during the 1980s when it's 16 games. The the passing now, um, all those records, when we look back at the, at the passing mm-hmm. numbers and, and compare them through the eras, it's all through 16 games. That would be a little bit weird, I don't know if that's a deal breaker that that would be weird, but instead of throwing for 5,000 yards is an amazing season. Now it's like what? 6,000 yards? Getting close, yeah. 2,000 yard rushing seasons probably still don't happen a ton, but if they do, then, well, okay, but you had 18 games to do it. Uh, I think quality of football is probably the best argument. Here's the second best argument, though. I think a 16 game season takes it out of fans. If you yeah. are a Minnesota Viking fan and every Sunday you go to the game, you go tailgate, 
or even you just stay at home and watch the game. Mm-hmm. It is so draining. Think about Twins games. Especially if your team's bad, it's draining. I think just any team that you like, it's right. it's so stressful with, with each game and the build-up to each game and the pressure that goes along with it. Think about a Twins game. Let's see, they're playing the Rays tonight. I'm going to watch. I'm very interested. Mm-hmm. If they lose 17-1, to 1, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, well, it's a blip on the radar. I'm sure the 98 Yankees lost one game by 10 runs. Well, stuff happens. No mm-hmm. big deal. Well, they play tomorrow. Or... You know, I mean, you'd have to, you have to have something catastrophic happen to be stressed as a Twins fan right now, right? Which you never know. <laughs> but Injuries as a are always a thing. As a football fan, I think that three hours, four hours that you're watching a game with your team, every game feels like the playoffs. You watch every game with fists clenched, leaned up in your seat. Mm-hmm. There is no when it's your team relaxing watching football. Oh yeah. And and I think that stresses people out over a season, and then you get into the playoffs, and that's stressful, and you get to the Super Bowl, and there's the huge buildup, and everybody's got parties and everything else going on, and it's the final game, and when it's over, this is part of my theory about AAF and XFL and why it doesn't work. After it's over, I think football fans go, whew, needed a break. Yeah. Needed a break from that. That was that was a lot. A lot happened there. And I'm gonna take my summer. I'm going to relax, and I don't need more of this. It's like the perfect amount. And there's this same theory in economics where someone who knows economics could tell me what it is. But like, think about my Diet Dr. Pepper and how much I enjoy it. I drink the perfect amount of Diet Dr. Pepper currently, which is a lot, and I like it, and it's intense. Jonathan's got that flavor. <laughs> but if you, if you said you got to drink two more a day than this, you're like that's just a little too much for me. I think a lot of football fans would think, man, it's just a little too much. It's a little yeah. too much intense. Those preseason games, you know what they feel like? And this is even for a reporter. They feel like a baseball game where you're like, okay, we're here. And, you know, there's stuff happening. I'm, I'm doing my job. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel this anxiety that goes along with every single play. When you cover a game and you have to be focused so much on everything that happens all the time, and I, Judd's got the binoculars, and he's like looking on the sideline for somebody on the training table. And it's just—it's a very intense day. I think for fans, especially of of in an NFL city, and when you get to the end of it, most people, I think, don't mind the break, don't mind going through the summer. Oh, training camp! Oh, look, preseason game on tonight. Maybe I'll watch a quarter and just like low calorie football that I don't have to have my mind blow up. And if you watch social media, I mean, it's crazy. Like, the first quarter, if they go three and out in the first quarter, people are losing their freaking minds. It's, it's like, like the last season of Game of Thrones, just <laughs> 16 times yes, a year. 16 times a year. And that's a good example. When you get to the final season of a great show that you've watched and loved, there's a stress that builds up at the end that is like every football season. And... I'm not sure that fans necessarily want that. It's just a little bit too much. But if you've got a thought on it, feel free to give us a call, 651-646-8255. Coming up next, Derek Klassen from Football Outsiders. He has been looking into the game tape on some quarterbacks, including Mitch Trubisky. He had a lot of interesting things to say about him. So we're going to discuss quarterbacks when we come back with Derek Klassen of Football Outsiders. We'll be back. Here you're listening to Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Just, it's, it's important that um, these specialists have somebody that has been there and done that and can kind of watch the minute little things that go on with this, um, you know, with this kicking game, you know, whether it be the hold or the placement of the ball or, you know, where the snap is coming or, you know, all these different things. And uh, so I think it'll be a good resource. Ah, yes, Judd Zulgad's dream came true when the Minnesota Vikings announced that they had hired a kicking coach in uh, Nate Kading 
was top 10 all time in field goal percentage. And now he's going to be working with Dan Bailey, who actually has a higher career field goal percentage than Nate Kading. But uh, at least Zimmer could say if they miss a bunch of field goals that he covered his own back. It wasn't his fault. It was Nate Kading's fault if something goes wrong there. Uh, Matthew Collar here, Purple Daily. If you want to chime in, 651-646-8255 from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We bring in now from Football Outsiders. He does the film room pieces and writes also for the Football Outsiders Almanac. Derek Klassen. What's going on, Derek? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing really well. So I've been following you on Twitter for a long time, and I'm sorry for not bringing you on the show before because I love the way you break down quarterbacks. So uh, everyone's been doing these things where they have quarterbacks in elite, not elite, pretty good, terrible um, <laughs> things on, on Twitter. Whoever invented that machine um, probably should be arrested because it's become my entire timeline of everyone trying to rank quarterbacks. But I, I'm curious what you think, since it is one of your areas of expertise, how we should do that. You know, if you, if you go about ranking your quarterbacks, there's the one through 32 type of way. Chris Sims is doing a top 40. There's the way of saying these guys are elite. These guys need help. These guys are awful and should be traded. I mean, how would you do it in terms of categorizing quarterbacks? So to me, there are basically four primary uh, groups that you want to put people in. There are like the top tier where you've got, I think I'd put Rogers, Brady, uh, Phillip Rivers, Breeze, mostly all the like veterans that have either gone to the Super Bowl or put up just ungodly stats. Um, and guys that can pretty clearly carry their team, Russell Wilson even. Um, and then I kind of put, there's like an in-between tier of guys that are close to that, but not quite where I had like Cam Newton and Matt Ryan and then I think after that, you kind of have to differentiate between what I call capable plus and capable minus. And basically anybody in either of those capable groups are, you know, standard starting quarterbacks that can at least give you the baseline level of play to win football games. Um, and capable plus would be guys who obviously hit all the check marks of accuracy, um, decent decision-making, all that sort of stuff, but then add a little bit of spice, whether it be from mobility, um, they're particularly good playmakers, um, maybe they're especially safe with the ball, very good at making decisions like that, and then capable minus are more guys who can do all the baseline stuff, but maybe limit your game plan here and there, and then after that, I think it's mostly guys who just don't matter if you're not capable. Yeah, what, what makes it interesting to me to try and rank them in some way is that each quarterback has his own um, ceiling and floor, and many are very different. When certain quarterbacks, uh, maybe I'll just go with uh, Kirk Cousins, let's say. It, Kirk, Kirk, but Kirk Cousins has a pretty high floor in my mind that you know what type of numbers he's going to put up, and you are pretty sure that you're going to win seven or eight games, even if your team is just okay. Um, unless it's completely abysmal, you're probably winning seven or eight games with Kirk Cousins. But I think there's also the shortcomings in his game where you wouldn't expect, unless you had a fantastic roster around him, anything more than that, that he's going to be able to take you to that next level. So I'm curious what you think about that. I mean, Cam Newton might be another example of the opposite, where if Cam has a bad year, they could go 4-12, and but if he has a great year, they can go 15-1. and yeah, that's a good point. I think especially with Kirk Cousins, because if you even look at when he was filling in for RG3 initially before he even fully took over, he was a guy who, I, you know, I think he's obviously progressed a lot since then, but he was even then a guy who was very capable of doing all the simple stuff. He was accurate enough. He didn't really make god-awful decisions, at least not at a rate that was, you know, going to completely kill and derail your offense. But like you said, he doesn't really have the peaks, um, or at least – the peaks at like the volume of a guy like Cam Newton or Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes or a lot of those guys who can really throw the team on their back. I don't think Kirk Cousins is is quite that guy. Um, granted, I put him in the, the capable plus category because I think he's actually gotten better at playmaking over the years um, and having moments where he can put the team on his shoulders, whereas I, I don't think that was the case early on in Washington. But um, I mostly agree with you. The the bandwidth on Kirk Cousins is good and bad is is pretty close to to very tight and probably one of the smallest in the league. 
Talking with Derek Klassen, you can follow him on Twitter at QBKLASS. Very clever, uh, Derek. Uh, he writes for Football Outsiders, does the film room pieces for the Football Outsiders website. Now, there's another thing that I've been thinking about a lot with this trying to put uh, quarterbacks into different categories, and that's the ability to go off schedule and make special plays when there's nothing there. And this especially was on my mind a lot going from Teddy Bridgewater and Case Keenum to Kirk Cousins, where it was just a lot different. The, the previous two were more mobile and could surprise you with a great play when everything broke down, whereas with Cousins, his best moments came when he was throwing on time to the right guy with the right read, and then he could make a spectacular pass, really, really accurate. But that's what he kind of needed. And when we talk about you know Cam Newton and Matt Ryan maybe being in the same category of not quite elite, but really, really good. It, it strikes me of how different they are, though, when it comes to someone who can make a special play off schedule and someone who can't. Uh, where do you think that the value exists in that in 2019 as we have more mobile quarterbacks? You know, that's a great question because I believe uh, I, I tweeted something about this the other day. I think five of the top six it was um, quarterbacks that had had you know, their highest, their percentage of throws outside of the pocket, five of the top six were drafted in the last two years. It was like Deshaun Watson, um, Josh Allen, Mitchell Trubisky, those type of guys. And the only other one was Russell Wilson, who we obviously already knew was a guy who liked to play outside of the pocket and like plays that way. So I'm not sure if that's just an indication of the times are changing with some of these new quarterbacks, but I do think it's getting increasingly more valuable because passing is already kind of easy and so if you can add that extra element of forcing defenses to not even let you get beaten in the pocket i think that's incredibly valuable um at the same time i do kind of think there are two different i guess avenues to make plays as a quarterback i think there are guys who can make throws from the pocket that you don't ever expect a quarterback to make just and then that's kind of where Kirk Cousins falls into. Like you said, like it's on time, it's on schedule, he's in the pocket, but it's, it's sometimes the placement is just you wouldn't expect any quarterback to hit it. And then there's the guys like Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes or um, even Mitchell Trubisky who can run outside of the pocket and make a throw 20 yards down the field on the move. And I think they both kind of accomplish the same things, and it's just a matter of you know which of those bins you kind of fall into. Yeah, it totally makes sense to me why Kirk Cousins' previous offensive coordinators, not named John D. Filippo, have always spoken highly of him and wanted to trade for him because usually he's the type of guy that when he's asked to do something, he's asked to drop back to a certain spot, set his feet a certain way, throw the ball to a certain area to a receiver who's supposed to be open because that's how you drew it up. Like He's your guy. But if you're asking him to have his pocket break down and then roll out and dodge a couple tacklers and make throw, that's probably not what you're going to get. So he'll do exactly the, what you draw up, but probably not a whole lot more. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think depending on how good your offensive coordinator is, that's perfectly fine. I mean, Jared Goff, I don't think, is any different. Um, I think when we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo operating at a high level, He's not any different, and I think for a while Matt Ryan wasn't any different. I think he's transcended that now, um, but I think for a lot of Matt Ryan's career, he wasn't really any different than that either, and so I think that's a, a perfectly viable way to play the quarterback position. Obviously, you want more, um, but I think if you have a coordinator who can consistently scheme open offenses for you and a, a quarterback who's willing to believe in that system, um, I think it's something that can work, and obviously it didn't work last year with DeFilippo, even though I think highly of DeFilippo, and I thought it would work. It just it just it didn't happen to work out. But you know, we've seen Kirk Cousins work in that style of offense with Shanahan before, where you know you just have to trust that the throw is going to be there, and he gets back there and makes it. So my takeaway on the DeFilippo thing, outside of I think there were some personality clashes there, but when when you don't have much of an offensive line, and you're coming from Philadelphia that has a spectacular offensive line. You can't ask the offensive lineman to do the same thing. And I, I think that that was a little bit of his downfall, that there were nights in Chicago where Khalil Mack is going one-on-one -on -one with Riley Reef with no help. Like, that just can't happen. He, he's going he's gonna to maul him. And that's uh, what happened in a couple of games where defensive ends, uh, Jerry Hughes did this in the Buffalo game. They just ruined the game plan because he refused to give 
enough help to the offensive lineman or tried a lot of things that required them to just stand there and pass block. But that's uh, kind of aside the point with Kirk Cousins. One of the things I keep coming back to with Cousins is there's always this question, can you really win with him? Can you really win with him? And my answer is, I think you can, but I don't think that this team has quite enough around him to do that. And I, I think it really speaks to the team building and the approach to the offseason for the Vikings, Derek, where they went with defense and brought their guys back and brought Everson Griffin back and, and Anthony Barr back and spent the money there when I think they have a quarterback who needs everyone else to be executing really highly around him to maximize his skill. That's I'm 100% with you there. I think he's basically, to me, a better version of what Goff is right now, and obviously Goff is I think in a better position right now, he's had, you know, he has Sean McVay, who's arguably the smartest uh, offensive line in the league. He has a fantastic offensive line. The running game was good for most of the year. Um, And he has a really stacked um, receiver core, even though none of them are, you know, superstars like Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen. Um, You know, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, those are really talented guys. And so I did kind of question why the Vikings didn't put a little bit more into the offense because even the skill player that they drafted, Irv Smith Jr., like tight ends typically don't really give you a whole lot as a rookie. And if you get something like a George Kittle, that's like, it it just doesn't happen. Like guys just don't really produce like that at the tight end position early on. So I thought that was a little questionable. I I wanted them to address receiver a little bit more because after Diggs and Thielen, I, I think it's kind of thin. And Kirk Cousins is actually a guy who can do a very good job of spreading the ball around if he has those targets. Um, I did love that they got a center in, in Garrett Bradbury, but I still, you know, like you said, kind of wish they had did a little bit more for the offense and didn't focus so much on the defense. Talking with Derek Klassen of Football Outsiders. Okay, so you did a Twitter thread about Mitch Trubisky. And Mitch Trubisky's a guy that I'm really fascinated by because in that draft, it blew my mind, Derek, that people would not be drafting Deshaun Watson after what he had done in college. What more do you want this man to do? And uh, Pat Mahomes, there's a tweet out there. I'm just, this is my favorite one to pimp, and I have gotten a million things wrong. So I love this one that I got right when I tweeted, Patrick Mahomes is going to be the best quarterback in this draft. But it still blows my mind that somehow Mitch Trubisky was ahead of those two guys when I thought they were just the more talented players. But he leads a winning team last year. He played really well in Week 17 to beat the Vikings. And I think what they're hoping for is that he takes that next step this year. Is there another step for Mitch Trubisky that Vikings fans should be concerned about? Uh, Well, first of all, you are preaching to the choir on Mitch Trubisky. I was not, I I did not understand him going before um, Patrick Mahomes and especially Deshaun Watson, who I thought was better. Obviously, Mahomes, I think, has been a little bit better at this point, but they've both been fantastic. My thing with Trubisky is I think Matt Nagy did a very good job of of getting a lot of things open for him, um, even though they didn't have, like, superstar talent. I think they really catered to what he can do, which is get him out of the pocket, get him moving, um, give him options to kind of play off schedule because he's not really a guy who's going to beat you on schedule with, you know, maybe he drops that, goes one to two to three, and then throws a digger out. Like, that's just not the way that Trubisky's going to beat you. He's either going to beat you by throwing the ball immediately in, like, a spread set, or it's going to be a rollout, or he's going to beat you on the move. There's not really a middle ground to his game, and so I guess that would be something that Vikings fans could maybe be scared of him developing. I've never seen it from him, really, at least not at, at a consistent level, so I would be kind of cautious about that even happening um but personally I, I don't find Mitch Trubisky all that impressive and so you know unless the lights really come on for him or all of the guys around him or you know Nagy just has an incredible year as a play caller I don't really find Trubisky as a guy who's you know going to put this team on his back especially with the way the defense is going to have to regress not because they're not because the players are getting any worse but defense is just not a sticky statistic, especially turnover. So I think Trubisky's going to get less help from his defense, fewer opportunities, and I just don't think he's going to progress that much. And an entire year for everybody to see exactly how Matt Nagy is going to run his offense as well and get that on tape and go back and make their adjustments. Yeah, I, I just I never quite got it at North Carolina. Not super impressed. 
Uh, he was a, a one-year starter, which is supposed to be the thing that's the big giant red flag for everybody. And him going where he did was was really mind-blowing. But he did beat the Vikings twice last year, so there is that. Uh, last one for you. I'm really, really interested to see what happens with Lamar Jackson. He said the other day that he didn't know they were changing offenses. Uh, whoops. Um, and... I loved watching him last year. It was fun. It was sort of cool to see a team go old school and run the ball all the time. But I had some flashbacks, Derek. I had Tim Tebow flashbacks of uh, a team catching some opponents by surprise by running the ball all the time. And they they weren't able to adjust, but he got to the playoffs. It didn't work for very long. Does he got it? Can he throw the ball well enough to have a long NFL career? Or are we going to look at that as, hey, remember that time Lamar Jackson came in and ran around and got them to 10-6 and or whatever it was? You know, for as much as I love Lamar Jackson, and, and, you know, I liked him a lot coming out, and I thought he did fairly well as a rookie, I think you're absolutely on on the nose where, you know, what they did with him in, in terms of rushing production just is not sustainable last year. He had the most carries of any quarterback in the league, and he only started seven games. <laughs> so, he, you know, he ended up running, I think, more than Cam Newton and Deshaun Watson, who are fairly, you know, they run a decent amount, and he still ended up with more carries than them. So that's definitely not something he's going to be able to get away with next year. I think as a passer, you know, if you look back at his college days, when he was a freshman, um, he even admitted when he was at Louisville, he had no understanding of the offense, really. He didn't really pick up on the playbook very well when he first got in. And he was very clearly not an accurate passer as a freshman. But then you could really see him progress as a sophomore when he won the Heisman. Um, he did a lot better job of, you know, understanding where his reads were, where his hot routes were, um, and just doing a lot better job of putting the ball where it needed to be. And then I think as a junior, even though he didn't end up winning the Heisman again, I think he progressed even further in that aspect. So, I think the hope is that he kind of shows that same trajectory where he has a rough rookie season. It kind of takes him a while to get his bearings. Um, doesn't really quite understand the offense yet, but it's something he quickly grows into and, you know, kind of catches fire the next year. I think that might be a little bit trickier this time around with the new offense, like you said, which he apparently had no uh, understanding was going to happen, which I think is a little bit concerning. Um, yes. That's just not really something you hear from any quarterback. Um, but I, I still have some faith in him. I think he's accurate enough. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, Philip Rivers or Tom Brady or anything, but I think, I think he can pass the baseline. Yeah. And when I was watching him at Louisville and I, I love to play this little what if, like, what if the Vikings had brought back Case Keenum and drafted Lamar Jackson instead of going all in on Kirk Cousins? And, you know, there's fun games that you could play with that, but I, I really did like, what I saw from Lamar Jackson throwing the football a lot of times in college. And then last year it was, oh boy, at the, at this level, that doesn't look the same. But I also know just from what I've read about his character, makeup, background, all those sorts of things. And if there's something that'll help him push it up to that next level, it's like, you know, that the guy is, is going to work on it. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like a situation where you get Ryan Leaf and he doesn't care or something like that, or he's afraid, you know, some quarterbacks come in the league and they just seem terrified. So uh, I'm really interested to see where that goes. Derek, you do awesome work for football outsiders, love football outsiders. Um, You do the film room pieces. You write for the Almanac as well. You can follow Derek at QBKLASS on Twitter. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for all the praise, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. We'll do it again. Thanks, Derek. Derek Klassen. Follow him on Twitter and at Football Outsiders. We'll take a break. We'll talk some OTAs. We're going to go hard OTAs next. I mean, you got the sound there? The That's... Right next to me yesterday, Jonathan. A couple feet away. Oh, yeah? Offensive linemen were doing a drill where they had that, that very sled lined up, and they would sort of crouch down and both hands smack the sled. Let's play the sled. Smack the sled. And then they would slide over to the next one, smack the sled, slide over there. So it's just a line of giant people sliding and drilling a sled. It was a great day. It was a very good day. We'll talk more with uh, Andrew Kramer of the Star Tribune. When we return, you are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Bailey today I said um, you know how's it going with Nate and you know it's it's still early in the process but uh, he felt like it was good to have somebody there to be able to 
um, you know, to talk talk about certain things with and look at um, the real specific part of uh, that that position. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer. Matthew Collar with you. Jonathan Harrison producing. We'll have a Zolgad in studio in about 15 minutes. Now to discuss all the ins and outs of yesterday's OTA action from the Star Tribune, Andrew Kramer covers the Vikings. Hi, Andrew. What's going on? Um, are you excited? No, no, no. What? Wait, let me rephrase. How excited are you? When you hear that there's that, that there's a kicking coach, like I saw, I think I saw you, you like your smile. It was like the Grinch, where it just <laughs> a kicking coach. This is fantastic. What a great day at OTAs yesterday. You know what? I really think any any kind of amount of buffer, any person you can put in the way of a kicker and Mike Zimmer, I think it's good. <laughs> I, I think it's good. I think if you can get somebody in there that's a step between the special teams coordinator and the head coach, that's going to be good. Because, frankly, I don't know how much Mike Zimmer uh, has dealt with the kickers and really how much he's helped with that situation. And that's why I think he decided this offseason they needed to bring in a guy like Nate Kading to help. And so I think, actually, I think it makes sense. I think it's actually something that could help them even if Nate Kading is a guy who's been through his own postseason issues before. Well, I did have that thought yesterday. Like, oh, of course they would have a guy who missed several key playoff field goals helping him out. Like, the jokes kind of write themselves in this case. But the Vikings were leading the league last year in missed kicks between Dan Bailey and uh, Daniel Carlson. What's interesting to me, Andrew, is that Dan Bailey's the only one out there booting field goals in OTAs. I mean, is it interesting to you that they didn't bring in anybody else to challenge Dan Bailey? It's not like he was Morton Anderson last year. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think when you look back at what the Vikings did, they, they entered this offseason with kind of an open mind there. They went to the Combine. The special teams coordinator, Marwin Malouf, sat down with uh, pretty much all of the kickers there at the Combine and looked and went through them and, and tried to sort through their options. And when they came out of there, just, they decided to stick with Dan Bailey. And I don't think they re-signed him until later in free agency. So it's not like this was something where they were sitting there in January and said, yep, we're going to go ahead and just go with this again. They looked through their options and decided he was the best one. I would have thought, Matt Bryant would have maybe garnered a look. I would have thought a veteran that was on the open market might have, maybe if Robbie Gould had eventually made it. But the the options just really weren't there. And so with Dan Bailey, I think a lot of it has to do with the holding operation, the long snapper. They draft a long snapper before they draft another kicker. That just tells you that they think that it's the operation that they need to fix, not just Dan Bailey. I think they still have a lot of faith in Dan Bailey, even though he missed those seven kicks last year. Yeah, I mean, his history overall would suggest that he was a very good kicker, but his recent history, not so much. About a 75% field goal kicker over the last couple years, and to only ride with him is kind of interesting. Now, when it goes under the category of amazing OTA things, a backup quarterback competition is right there, right? Oh, yes, we have one. And if you recall, the backup quarterback competition of 2017, we went into week one of the preseason saying, you know what, I think this Taylor Heineke could beat out Case Keenum. Um, Sean Mannion, is he really going to get challenged for QB2? I don't know. That's a good question. You know what, I think they're going to try and that's really what has to play out and it's may and you you just sit there and you talk about how we thought two years ago case keenan might have got cut before he even made the team and then goes on that miraculous run at the nfc championship game this isn't when games are won or lost this isn't when these competitions are decided and so i think when you see the money that's that's the love language in the nfl when you see the money they spent ninety thousand dollars to get sean Mannion here they spent a hundred and thirty thousand dollars which is as much as like a sixth round pick signing bonus to get the undrafted kid, Jake Browning, in here to compete. So, yes, I think it's wide open. I think Kyle Sloter's still in that mix as well. But he's got to have his eyes pretty wide open at this point because they brought two guys in here to take his job as well. So it could be Sean Mannion. It could be Jake Browning, whoever it is. They're just holding their breath that Kirk Cousins stays healthy. I already love Sean Mannion, though, Andrew. I already don't want him to lose the competition <laughs> because when he's standing there with no pads on, it looks like he has pads on. Like he's a, he is the, he's like an old school looking quarterback who is twenty six going on thirty four. He, he just he he's like can't run at all and he's giant and he throws the ball really hard. And then they talk about how smart he is in the room and things like that. Now I I wonder if you think that that matters though because he was 
in Sean McVay's system in Los Angeles. And you're talking about a guy that's going to have to work a lot with Kirk Cousins. And um, do you remember the famous line, Andrew, about Peyton Manning, why they never practice with Jim Sorgi? Because they don't man, uh, they don't practice being bleeped, was the co- uh, coach's quote. Like we, Because if we lose Manning, we're bleeped, and we don't practice bleeped. I feel like they're the same way the Vikings are now, so they might as well keep the guy who can emulate the other team on, on scout team and help Kirk with preparation for games. And I, I don't know if Kyle Sloter and Jake Browning can do that. Yeah, to speak to the upside of Sean Manning, he's a guy who understands um, uh, Shanahan McVay-style system. He comes in with a head start on that front. He's tall enough. He can stand there and be a pocket passer and not have to worry about uh, manufacturing uh, throwing platforms for him. So he's a guy that you can at least get by with a little bit. He was a third-round pick, so at least the Rams thought he had the tools to be a potential star backup or, or at least maybe a mediocre starter down the road. So he hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities, though. He's only played one NFL game. So he's kind of a relative unknown, but I think he's just the best unknown at this point, Sean Mannion, that is. But it it doesn't really matter to me because I sat there two years ago, and I keep going back to Case Keenum. We looked at him and said, look, this guy looks a little pudgy, had a really bad training camp, he's short. How is he going to get anything done? And then they manufactured an offense, and it worked. And I believe Gary Kubiak could do that if he had to with with, uh, a backup quarterback. And so we'll have to see how this all comes together. But I don't know if they're necessarily screwed because we all thought they were when Case Keenum entered in Week 3 against Tampa Bay, and then the rest was history. Now, before I say this, I want to remind everyone to read the Star Tribune's Vikings training camp coverage and scorenorth.com's training camp coverage. But if there's anyone who has an argument for not reading anything about quarterbacks, it's us. Sam Bradford shows up two weeks before the season and then in his first game beats the Packers and throws for 300 yards. And then Case Keenum looks like a total disaster in training camp, comes out, wins 13 games or 12 games. It's like... Well, I guess training camp maybe isn't uh, as important as they say, but still read the Star Tribune and scorenorth.com. Uh, <laughs> well, exactly. But what we, should, what we should be focusing on is the fact that this team wants to run the ball and, and they need Kirk Cousins to be healthy. And I think if any team in the NFL lost its starter, they'd be uh, you know, up a creek. No, you're, you're definitely right about that. And so if another great reason to watch training camp and training camp coverage is to see what's going on with Laquan Treadwell, Andrew. Last year... <laughs> Oh, man, Laquan and Kirk Cousins, they got this great chemistry. It's going to be a big year for Laquan Treadwell. I noticed yesterday, and I'm sure you did too, Andrew, the hyperbole, the explanations, all those things, they're gone from everyone answer, everyone's answers. It's, yeah, he's on the team, and that's all we're going to say about it, coming from Kevin Stefanski and Mike Zimmer. Yeah, it's pretty telling when Jordan Taylor, a guy who had uh, both hips, surgically repaired a year ago, didn't play football, was totally out of it, is now getting first-team reps over Laquan Treadwell. And, and Taylor was, I believe, either a late-round pick or undrafted by Gary Kubiak in Denver, so at least he knows the system. But this is not a guy who's got any pedigree, and he's stepping in and getting more reps for Laquan Treadwell. Another undrafted guy, Chad Beebe, stepping in, getting reps instead of Laquan Treadwell. I think we can finally put that hype train to bed, I think. And I think the Vikings obviously declining Laquan's fifth-year option said said that all that needs to be said about his future. I wouldn't be. I would be very surprised if this somehow wasn't his last year in Minnesota. Yeah, no, I I feel the same way, and that's even you know, looking at the crowded crop of wide receiver threes, Andrew. It wouldn't even stun me if they cut him. They can cut him at after training camp and earn you know six hundred thousand dollars or something of cap space. But if there's not a job there and they like Chad Beebe more and Dylan Mitchell and Olabisi Johnson and Jordan Taylor, I think they're just gonna take those guys and say, It was nice having you here, Laquan. Yeah, that wide receiver group is probably the most intriguing battle when you look at kind of how open it is. You're right, because I I could see them potentially, if they wanted to, moving on from Treadwell before the start of the season, but they've got such unknowns behind him that you can't even bank on that yet. I mean, we haven't seen Brandon Zilster really do much in an NFL game. You brought up those two rookies they drafted. It's just a lot of unknown, uh, you know, bottom-of-the-roster guys, and those guys could star in training camp and get Laquan cut. That's certainly possible. But at this point, I think it's probably expected he'll be on the roster just, just to be a body. And it's, it's pretty unfortunate that a guy who had such hype as a first-round pick just never really put it together uh, here with, with the Vikings. So we'll see what happens at that wide receiver spot. But how many clicks did we all get out of Laquan is making progress? <laughs> I mean, I, I would love well, us all to put it together because yeah. our website did great with Laquan is making progress articles. 
Um, like, everybody wants, yeah, and everybody wants to read that. Everybody wants the hope, the hype. You know, that's what that's what everybody, you know, not that's what teams and coaches sell. But as as media, all we have to go off of is what people are talking about. And I don't know if we did too much of it last year. At least Kirk Cousins, you know, talked him up quite a bit last year, and that's kind of gone by the wayside now. So I don't know if he's got many more fans in the building, but you're right. We, we squeezed that uh, orange as much as we could. He looked great during training camp. I will say that. I mean, they really did have a lot of great plays in camp, but not in the real football. Uh, last thing for you, Andrew, I'm breaking a show rule here. We have um, tried not to talk about Kyle Rudolph being traded because we talked about it so much, and I'm just waiting <laughs> until something happens. But since you know, you're a guest, I will allow it. Um, what do you think is going to happen here? I feel honored. I know you should. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Are, are they going to trade him here in the next couple of weeks? No, if I had to guess that they're going to come down and actually sign him to an extension. I didn't think that a month ago, a month ago, you know, we're hearing that they had backed away from extension talks. Things were not amicable at that point. They clearly had a, a great disparity on, on the view of his value and what he's worth at age 29 as a tight end in the NFL. And then they draft Irv Smith and clearly they don't think he's going to be the long-term fixture here at, at that number one spot. And so with Kyle, though, I think they're going to come down to a point where they get him locked in for at least a couple more years in Minnesota. And you know how the Vikings do their contracts. It's all the money up front. I think they're going to find a way to finagle the salary cap, pay him the money he wants, maybe really load in 2020 and get him a lot of money next year. And then it might be, you know, year to year. We'll see what happens from there. Because, listen, Irv Smith is going to be the guy. I just think they find a way to keep Kyle Rudolph in the fold for at least a year or two. Yep, I agree with you. I think they uh, ultimately work that out. And even though Kyle is trying to talk tough about all the other teams that are interested, I think he wants to be here, ultimately. That would be my guess, is that he wants to get a deal done. Uh, Andrew Kramer... Yeah, look at the Vikings' oh, M.O. They just, they, the Vikings' M.O., they just don't, they don't trade away guys they really like for nothing. So that's to your point. Yeah, no, they, they, and they've done an amazing job of keeping everybody around, and I, I think they can probably work it out. Andrew Kramer, the star Tribune covers the Minnesota Vikings. You can follow him at Andrew underscore Kramer with a K. Andrew, great stuff. Thanks for popping on, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, Andrew um, asked the question about the kicking coach yesterday. He smiled. It was like OTAs, man. We got a kicking coach. Here we go. All right. Uh, It's time for uh, Hot Routes when we come back, Jonathan. I know you get excited every day for Hot Routes where we go around the league and I present questions sometimes relating to us personally and sometimes asking you to analyze deeply the game of football. So Judd Zolgad will be in for Hot Routes when we return. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.